Miller. On this week's episode of Tiger Turf Talk, we host Miss Leah Withrow, the head groundskeeper of the Reno Aces, the AAA affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks. We are so beyond grateful to have met Miss Withrow with everything that she has going on right now. She's currently in the reconstruction of her 12-year-old field. Um, she is part of a new group of minor league baseball that is charged with the major league baseball with the transition over this past year with COVID. Uh, she has seen through so many different uh, levels of her reconstruction to ensure that all specs are met with the uh, standard of Major League Baseball. So she's such an inspiration to all of our students. Uh, she is the only female head groundskeeper in AAA baseball and is currently only one of four female head groundskeeper in all of baseball, minor league baseball, and Major League Baseball. Um, and she does such a fantastic job. Only at the age of 25, uh, she has gone to one of the highest uh, positions you can get when it comes to the baseball world. Um, and it was great to hear about her journey through the industry, uh, how she found her passion, and really, uh, it's really cool to see how just a email to the Arizona Diamondbacks and being put in contact with the head groundskeeper through the actual website of the Diamondbacks, she was able to shadow for two days and see what it was like to be a groundskeeper at the major league level and it sort of was uh, love at first sight as she said and it was just it's great to see especially with our students and with being able to talk to people like her and have that experience um, and see it through her eyes um, it's just such a great opportunity and that's why we do these um, so we can't thank you enough um, we hope that the rest of the renovation goes well uh, and next week, laying down the sod, uh, we hope that bluegrass shines for you. Um, she has very lofty goals, and we know that she's going to do a fantastic job and get to those goals um, very soon. So, again, we can't thank you enough, Leah, uh, and take care. We hope 2021 is a great year for the Aces and your grounds crew. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tiger Turf Talk. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the 24th episode of Tiger Turf Talk. I'm your host, Drew Miller, with your co-host, Jack O'Leary. Today, we have an extremely exciting guest, uh, Miss Leah Withrow, the head groundskeeper of the Reno Aces. How are you doing today? I am good. I'm good now. <laughs> so you were just talking about it, and uh, we actually, uh, over email, you were talking about how you were just starting your renovation. Um which is such a large scale project, um, especially uh, for a minor league stadium um, and everything. So how has that been going for you? Uh, you mentioned dumpster fire a little bit ago. So <laughs> how is that all going and where are you hoping to go with the rest of this week? Uh, so we are in, what are we in, week three, the start of week three for renovation stuff. Uh, it's a giant sandbox right now. Um, we... Spent the first week rephrase mode, all the turf, the grass out. Um, then we piled the top four inches of organic matter that we wanted to get rid of and piled that all up, got that 
donated to some golf courses around the area. So I didn't have to pay a dump fee for those because it was about 2000 tons of organic matter and sand built up over 12 years. The stadium has never been redone before, has never had new infield dirt, new grass, besides a few um, sodding quick jobs. So everything is the original 12 years, 2009 opening day stuff. So there's a lot of organic built up. Um, so we got rid of those top four inches. I trucked that out to local golf courses to use as filler, which worked out great. And then um, we actually just yesterday finished hauling out the old infield dirt uh, that was also donated to the local high school. So five area high schools got all of our old infield dirt so that they can play hopefully this season on some good infield. And then uh, basically been trucking in new sand. We got 2000 tons of brand new sand that had to be tilled into the bottom floor. So our root zone, the way our field was built is on six inches of gravel for drainage purposes, then it's fabric layer. And then we have 10 inches of sand and then turf. Uh, we took those top four inches out, probably closer to five inches, um, clean, cleared that out, uh, got the new sand. And now we're starting to till in that new sand to that bottom five inches, just so that we kind of get an even consistency on the new uh, root zone. Cause the new sand is a lot more coarse to allow for better drainage um, than the old sand was. The old sand was a more silty, fine, um, poor draining soil. So we're trying to incorporate that to make it uh, maybe a little bit better on, on the watering side of it. And yeah, it's kind of been crazy uh, because of MLB's new standards, because MLB now owns minor leagues, um, we have, to make some adjustments to the original plans uh, to be within the MLB specs and standards. So that was a hiccup we weren't expecting. Uh, very, very, to, nice to deal with. very nice of them to do that <laughs> last minute. Yeah. So uh, we basically, now that uh, MLB has us, we have to submit any changes to the field to them. So we made out this nice plan. I mean, we submitted everything that our contractor basically gave to us is what we're doing and MLB signed off. So this is awesome, looks great. Um, then we got to the grading uh, issues um, that we weren't expecting to have to, uh, we thought there'd be a little bit more give in, in the grading specs, but there wasn't. So ended up having to tear out pretty much everything under our infield dirt and regrade the gravel underneath, which was a couple extra days of stuff and having to redo the mound we weren't originally planning on doing. Not fun, um, Not fun stuff. So that's actually getting bulldozed right now. Oh. No more mound. And yeah, it's just been crazy busy. Uh. I've never gotten more phone calls in my life. <laughs> You just want to check the phone off the stadium. Yeah. I've had more phone calls in the last three weeks than I think I did all of 2020. So I, I'm sort of with you because with the virtual setting we've been in, I've gotten more emails than I've ever gotten. And it's been constant every day. So it's like 70 emails. It's like, oh, here we go. <laughs> so yeah, no. um, you were also talking about how you've been making some major decisions this week and over the whole process, I'm sure you've been making a lot of decisions. Can you sort of explain 
the different aspects that you're monitoring specifically. Uh, again, you were talking about they change the specs on you. Um, as the head groundskeeper working with the contractor, can you sort of explain how you're sort of double checking what they're doing in a sense? And what what is it that you're prioritizing when you're monitoring their field construction? So the whole point of my job or the first point of my job in a renovation was to hire the right people. That's, if I did my job right, then I hired the right people and I don't have to worry too much about it. And I think I did, I hired some top-notch guys. Um, we have uh, Dura-Edge Infield going in and Cam Toon, who is the best in the business, hands down, with infield grading and project managing. Uh, he's a 10 out of 10. And then our sod farm guy, Nate, um, he's been doing all of the demo, anything with grass and sand he's been doing, and he's been 10 out of 10 also. So like, I'll go out just to go get some fresh air and some sunshine from my cellar that is my office down here under the stadium and check things out. But I mean, I'm the one approving the base cutouts, how long I want the base pass, the diameter of home plate, the diameter of the mound. I'm approving and making sure we're within spec for grading. Um, and then the new MLB standards, making sure we're kosher with them. And then uh, we've been doing some soil testing as we till in that new sand to make sure we're getting the the inches per hour drainage that we we want and making sure that uh, when we go to do our pre-plant fertilizer that we have proper nutrient recommendation uh, based on what's going in right now. So uh, I've been monitoring all of the testing and making sure the results are what we were planning on doing and working with the contractors. So, I mean, I've been a hands off except for saying yes or no, or move it this way or that way uh, for a lot of the project, which has been really nice because that means I did what I was supposed to do, which was hire the right people. And now second part of my job is once they leave, making sure I don't completely kill the field in the first year. Um, I have a question. Okay. Uh, what is the goal of the field renovation from what the field was to what is done to spec to better the field? So, uh, like I said, this field's 12 years old. It was built in 2009 and hasn't had any improvements. We did get a new warning track about three years ago, which was like a godsend because our old warning track was not super great. So we basically my plan was when we started talking renovation was to look at our major issues, which was drainage. Um, we did a undisturbed core sample, which means we basically took a cup cutter, golf course cup cutter, cut all the way down to that fabric level. So 10 inches. I don't know where my hands are on the camera. And we sent it to a lab where the lab took that undisturbed sample. It was in a soda pop bottle and they flushed water into it to see how it drained. They took chemical analysis of everything, whatnot. Well, in the two samples we took, we took one from center field and one from right field. The center field one drained at 0.69 inches an hour, which if you know what a field should drain at, it should drain at close ideally you drain it 15 inches an hour. 
So 0.69 was well below that. Our right field uh, sample drained at 0, 0.0 inches an hour, which meant we were at standing water in right field consistently, uh, which was super frustrating because I wasn't overwatering. It felt like I was, but I needed to get some of the hot spots watered, but I couldn't water efficiently and properly in right field because it would just sit there and be soggy. So every time I tried to mow, I would rut. And it was just a, an issue. And so that was priority number one in this field renovation was in improving drainage because over time, over 12 years of not catching clippings all the time, uh, fertilizer not breaking down as fast as you want to, leaves and organic buildup in that top four inches, that black layer just got out of control. And it was to the point where you could pull all the cores you wanted, air fine once a month, and it just wasn't gonna, wasn't gonna do much. So we needed to find a good sand to mix into the old sand, a good compatible match that didn't clog up any uh, pore space or, or concrete or seal off our root zone. Uh, did a good job at that. And then we have a, had a huge POA problem. Our POA annua had pretty much taken over all of our Kentucky bluegrass. Um, and there was a lot of pigment and paint to make that lime green POA look all right. And um, last year's soccer season, uh, having them there more than normal uh, showed that the POA, as you know, roots super shallow. The POA will sit in that two to three inch root zone and just sit there and shear off like it's no one's business. And so soccer playing two times a week and practicing two times a week, it was just divot after divot after divot and we couldn't keep up with it. And no one, the soccer team was mad as they had a right to be that every time they took a step, it was gonna rip out from under them. So that kind of also sold our front office on, we need to probably get some fresh grass in here and resurface this thing to get better stability and a safer playing surface for uh, baseball and soccer. So you had mentioned it before and I actually read an article on it uh, and we actually have had uh, Luke Yoder on this podcast, talk to the kids um, with the products like Dura edge and with the new uh, again, you're uh, working and tilling in the uh, lower level with the higher level of the soil profile um you're working with a bunch of different contractors how do you create that relationship uh you you mentioned you found them you had to be the one to find the right one how do you create that relationship once they're in-house and they're working and sort of in your space and uh having that expectation but still having a good working relationship with those guys so luke approached me in july um, when I started kind of our front office had been noticing the issues the field was having um, with water and, and the POA. So uh, we started discussing a field renovation coming in the fall. And I was like, mm, we're about a few months out. That's a little short. We should start looking at spring. Started talking with Luke, just spitballing. And uh, my old boss, Joe Hill, who I took over for, had kind of started in the process of finding people. So I was just going based on his recommendations because if he was gonna, if he signed off on them, then I was totally fine with having them here as well. 
Um, what ended up being super nice uh, with, we basically went with the company is called Foremost. I don't know if Luke talked about it while he was on the podcast here, but they created a consulting and field renovation side business under the DuraEdge umbrella. I think that he focuses on, correct? So he basically, DuraEdge created this new, instead of just doing infield, they wanted to do the whole field and they wanted a field renovation company that was built by groundskeepers. Because as we know and have seen, a lot of stadiums are built by general contractors and they're like, well, I can build a skyscraper building a stadium would be the same thing. And you're like, no, it's freaking not. It is not the same thing at all. And a lot of groundskeepers get screwed because you have a general contractor who doesn't have turf managing experience and you kind of suffer on that end of it. So Luke and foremost came in with groundskeepers, Paul Zwaska, who was in the, with the Orioles for forever. Luke, who was with Padres for forever uh, Greg Elliott, the San Francisco Giants guy. I mean, they're, they've got some good names in that company and I trusted them. I trust Luke with, I mean, he's Luke Yoder. He, he knows <laughs> yeah, exactly. more than I will ever know in a lifetime. And so I wanted to work with Luke and it worked out super well that I was going to use DuraEdge anyway. That's the new, pretty much the MLB standard. Um, so getting a DuraEdge infield was priority. And so getting DuraEdge in here, having Foremost kind of lead the pack. Then it was just trying to find that sod company, um, which we found one from Washington, uh, central eastern Washington. They supply the sod for the Seahawks and the Mariners. Um, they do a ton of colleges up in that area. They do Gonzaga and UW. And I mean, they are, and they do every golf course, top of the line to your basic county-owned golf course. They are great and what was super nice is their climate is identical to us almost identical so I knew that was going to be a good fit and it worked that that sod farm guy had worked with the DuraEdge guy on multiple other projects along the west coast and they were good friends and buddies and so it kind of just all the pieces kind of started to fit together and it was an easy decision for me I was like I want Luke Yoder leading the pack. I want him to be advising and overseeing um, most of this project because I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And so I needed Luke Yoder to help kind of guide me in certain directions. And then I got Cam, who's our Duredge guy, and Nate, our sod guy. And they just kind of, I mean, it, it's been a phenomenal crew. We've had almost no issues except for hiccups underneath the field as we dig underneath and find fun discoveries of the old build and shortcuts that they took in the original build. But besides that, I mean, we've got a great crew here. Great guys, great guys. And Luke helping the whole process along was huge. Just pull up something that's not supposed to be there. That's always fun to see. Oh yeah. We found <laughs> a lot of, uh, it is interesting to see, the shallow areas when they pop up. Cause you're like, dang, I always had a hot spot there. Now I know why. And you don't yeah. seem crazy or you're like, that always puddled right there. That's weird. And he's like, yeah, it was a really low spot. And I'm like, okay, I'm not losing my marbles. I'm not <laughs> overwatering and it's not me. It's actually just the way the field was built. And now yeah. that we go through and correct those things, it, it feels good. 
it's like that I knew it moment, you know, like <laughs> there's something wrong here. Um, you, you mentioned Joe. I actually used to work with Joe in New York uh, with the Mets. And I was going to ask you about it because um, I had talked to him a few times uh, once he got out there when he left because I thought he was crazy for this, for this specific thing. Not me like leaving MLB, but joining the uh, group of people who run an MLS. Is it MLS or just a soccer um, it's basically triple a soccer. It's okay. The okay. So s- similar to an MLS running a, again, soccer, baseball, same timeline, back and forth, back and forth. I was like, Joe, I don't know how you do this. You know, what is that experience like for you? I mean, I know I would lose my mind. Um, I'll help and I'll try my best, but at the same time I would lose my mind if I do it ha- like six times in a season, you know what I mean? Um, what experience was, what was your experience with all of that? So I interned under Joe that inaugural year of soccer. So that first year we had soccer, I was an intern and it sucked. (laughs) I'm going to be honest. (laughs) Um, When you have to flip the field 12 times, lay sod and pull up sod 12 times by like time five, you just want to like go bury yourself under the pile you just dug up and call it a day because just say guys soccer guys you can run on the dirt okay you're gonna be fine (laughs) it would be fine and i mean football players do it in oakland when they were at the uh a stadium i'm like it was it was a lot of work a lot of work and it was long nights of tearing out the infield dirt right after a baseball game to lay sod the next morning at 8 a.m. to play a soccer game the next day and tear it up right after that soccer game was over. So, I mean, the majority of the time that soccer sod was only down 48 to 72 hours, maybe, mostly 24-hour conversions that that sod's down. So it was frustrating because you know how long it took to lay that sod down. You play two hours worth of soccer we end up losing the game or something dumb. And then you have to tear it all up after <laughs> laying it literally 36 hours ago. And you're like, what the? It's, it's like, why can't you just win for us guys? You know, we do all this work. All you got to do is win. It's all you um, had to do. Yeah. Um, with that, um, how are you, like you said, you dug out the infield. Uh, what are you doing to maintain that grass? And that's such short uh, span. Are you watering it at all? Are you, uh, I mean, what is the, what is the protocol sort of for managing that turf that is now where the infield skin used to be? It's a lot of babysitting um, because I mean, most of the time we're laying sod, it's two inches thick or two inch sod um, because it, and it's clay. So one, we had to make it heavy so that it wouldn't move. That's the biggest question I get asked is when you lay it, how does it not move? I'm like, well, if you've ever lifted clay sod, you know that ain't gonna move. They're so heavy. it's pretty dang heavy. So yeah. um you got two inches of clay, shove it all in there, and then it's filling in the cracks, making sure it doesn't shrink, because that was one of the biggest problems is in the summer when you're playing soccer and it's July and it's a hundred degrees outside that clay wants to shrink up in the heat and that grass shrivels up. And then you start getting these, uh, ruts in between the sod and, uh, USL does not like that. So it was a lot of filling in with sand and top dressing it and then soaking it and soaking it to make sure it didn't shrink 
I mean, that was your biggest offense was just keeping water on it so that it was swollen enough that it kept itself together. Um, but it was, a, it was tough. And it's even more frustrating knowing that you're going to tear it up the next day. That, that and I, like, I don't remember what the experience was, but we were doing some at Tech and I did that. And I was like, I never want to do this again. And you had to do it 12 times, so I can't even think about that. Um, how did the transition impacts the infield you know because with baseball and all these kids help maintain our fields there's so much that can go into i don't want to say messing up but sort of creating difficulties when it comes to the infield skin and you're going back and forth back and forth in a sense is there anything that you've seen that sort of developed over the season uh transferring back uh grass back to clay or since it was a clay uh sod did it really not matter too much when it came to going back to baseball so a lot of the time we did put fabric down on uh, to protect the infield clay against the clay sod just because the sod clay is very sticky and it would if for the amount of water we're putting on that sod to keep it swollen you ended up creating quite a mess. Um, so we started putting fabric down that helped a ton. Um, the infield itself was probably the easiest part because once you put that fab, you took two inches out of the edge, two inches down, three feet off the edge so that when the sod laid, it, it crowned in the middle, but it laid flat against the outfield and the infield. And Putting the edges back in was a very time consuming and very detail oriented process because obviously those edges are extremely important in baseball. Every ball hop, every transition or roll along those edges is a missed play that is your fault. So we spent a lot of time perfecting those edges and it really, once you got a system down and you were able to do it efficiently, it wasn't too bad. It was more honestly disease issues and weed issues we got from bringing in foreign sod um, on an undisturbed field. I mean, that field hadn't been had any outside contaminants. And so when you're bringing in sod every other week um, from a, a it was a local sod farm, great guys, but it was more landscape sod. And so there was dandelions in it and clover in it and we would get disease from it. And it was stuff we had never had problems with before because you're in your own little micro environment in the stadium. And now all of a sudden you're bringing in foreign stuff that's spreading, spreading some weeds. So that was a, that was a hurdle we didn't expect. Yeah. Not, not normal for a sports surf manager to have to deal with those a dandelion infestation that's for sure um <laughs> with all of that were you using a uh, big roll sod or was it again you said from like a landscape farm or were you guys on a pallet and you had to no roll? they were large large rolls oh, they okay. had sod guys come in with a special machine to help roll it out but you'd have to take the rake and pull it into place and keep those seams tight and making sure that you basically had to overlap every seam so gotcha. that when it did eventually shrink, it set into place and you didn't get, if they were too already off and the seams weren't already tight when it shrunk it, that just made it so much worse. So 
Science. Uh, That's crazy. A lot of details, a lot of details went into laying that soccer sod because soccer is very picky about it. We love soccer. I did love them. I do. I do miss having them, but it was tricky. What's up? Hold on. What's up? It's all right. What was your journey through the turf industry and how did you end up as the head groundkeeper of Reno Ace? Um, so actually, funny story, I started with the Diamondbacks, which is our parent club, which ended up being ironic, but um, I was in high school, I was a junior in high school, uh, touring colleges, trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do after graduation. And my family is uh, from North Dakota. So we went back to see grandma and grandpa and whatever. And I toured North Dakota State and University of North Dakota, just as you do in, in high school, trying to figure out what you want to do for college. And I actually wanted to be an uh, aerospace engineer. I wanted to build rockets. And I took calculus my senior year of high school. And I was like, just kidding, not doing yes, that. That was me, not the rockets thing. But I was like, engineer I was like nope run away <laughs> I was always good at math I was I was always in advanced math I was good at it like it made sense to me I'm very analytical and very good at filling in problems I love puzzles I was good at that and engineering's a lot of puzzle pieces and things building stuff together it's like I love it it's hands-on and then that calculus thing really kind of calculus is just a wall and you just down. So yeah, hard. people that are good at math soon learn that you're not good at math as soon as you hit calculus. So I had to find a plan B. And when I was touring NDSU, they had a turf department. And when you tour, when I was touring NDSU, you got to pick two colleges to look into. So I was obviously met with the head of engineering in that department, and then they needed to fill another 30 minutes. So looking at their majors list and I was like sports turf that's cool it's like I love out being outside and like I love sports I was always always played sports growing up I was like this is it so I went and heard from that head guy of that department and I uh, loved it sorry there's some I have mice in my office oh. <laughs> I've had a mouse run across my desk so like I hear noises and I'm like King Mouse trying to run across my desk again. It freaks me out. <laughs> I'm sorry. That stinks. We, so, have, we have snakes for our mice at Brentsville. That's for sure. <laughs> I'd rather have mice, I guess. I'll take that. So I heard what the sports turf thing is all about. Loved it. Uh, took calculus. Decided not going to do that. So uh, spring break, my senior year of high school, I was in Arizona and just went to the Diamondbacks homepage, like their basic, basic homepage, went to the comments and questions section and just typed in the box. I'm a senior in high school. I'm looking at going into turf management. Uh, would you mind, would your groundskeeper mind sitting and talking with me about it? Because I needed confirmation to move to North Dakota to do this. I needed to hear from a groundskeeper and listen to their experiences and understand what the job really meant. Cause when you're talking to a professor, he's talking data and research and stuff like that in turf, but he doesn't know the industry necessarily. So I needed confirmation from a groundskeeper and I needed to understand what I was getting myself into. 
And so within an hour, the Diamondbacks reached back out and was like, Grant would love to have you for two days, like a non-game day and a game day and just show you what it's all about. And I was like, this is amazing. So for two days, I went out and worked at Chase Field uh, before it was artificial turf, obviously. And I fell in love. I mean, I stepped out onto that warning track in right field and just looked around and like when you're at an MLB stadium on field level, it feels massive. And you're like, this would be my office. Like then my brain started like putting pieces together and I'm like, this is where I would come into work every day. This is what I would do every day. I'd get on the mower. I would paint whatever I would pack, whatever. It was all like pieces falling into place in those in two days, I just knew. And so went to North Dakota state, got my four-year degree in turf management uh, triple minored in horticulture, crop science, and business administration, just because when you're taking all those plant science classes, I didn't even have to take any extra for that horticulture minor or that cropping minor because they all overlap so much. Um, my mom made me get the business one because she was like, it's always good to have business experience. And I hated all my business classes. They were so freaking pointless, <laughs> but don't listen to that kids. Take business class. <laughs> oh, that's great. So then, uh, I mean, I did a couple internships through college. Uh, they were required uh, for credits. So I did one actually before soccer was in Reno when Eric Blanton was here. Um, so I did my first one after my freshman year of college. I realized how long the hours are and how hard the work is real quick. Still didn't give up. Then I got an internship with the Milwaukee Brewers the following summer, and that was incredible. I loved the city of Milwaukee. I loved the Miller Park. I loved everything. We had great interns. Absolutely beautiful field. So yeah, they had four interns because they're big league and they can do that. And all great guys learned so much there, learned a ton. And then my summer before my senior year, I had planned a bunch of trips and I was like, I want to enjoy a summer because I had worked I mean, interns get worked like crazy and you don't have a lot of time to do a whole lot else during your summer. So I was like, I want to enjoy a summer before I graduate. And then Joe had actually come back and taken over and Eric Blanton, the first head groundskeeper here had recommended me and he knew I was coming home for the summer and just said, hey, if I could borrow you just for whenever you have some time, like it'd be awesome to have some extra hands and I'm a workaholic. So as soon as I stepped back into the field, it was, I still enjoyed my vacations, but I sure did not enjoy as many beach days as I had originally planned because once I'm in the stadium, I don't want to leave. And then uh, post-graduation of college, I uh, went to Northern Arizona University and was a groundskeeper for the university. Didn't love it a ton. Um, and then Joe actually ended up having a, a full-time assistant position open as I'm trying to leave. And I was like, perfect, sign me up, packed up all my stuff and moved a few weeks later and been here ever since. And now after a crazy 2020 somewhat season and after Joe left, I, I mean, that was hard for me because Joe is probably my biggest mentor and big brother and somebody I look up to a lot and it was really tough for me to have him leave. And I was like, I don't know what the I'm going to do. Like, I, I can't do this without Joe. I've never done this without Joe. So I was freaking out. And then 2020 happened and we didn't play a season anyway. And then we did play a soccer season 
And then I ended up as a head groundskeeper and it all just is one big tornado <laughs> and I don't really know how it all happened, but here we are. Um, with the school that attended our program, can you speak to your experience of what the program was like, specifically like the faculty, staff, basically overall feel of college? I loved it. I mean, I moved from Nevada to North Dakota, which was a hard transition. I knew no one there except for grandparents and an aunt. So it wasn't like I had people my age that I was excited to room with. I had a stranger I roomed with. I didn't know anybody at the school. So it was, that first week was tough. Um, but I never, I called my mom crying, I think almost every day because I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any friends. And I'm from a small town in Nevada where the people I graduated kindergarten with are the same people I graduated high school with. I never had to make new friends. I didn't know how to make friends. Uh, so that was scary, but I never wanted to leave. I was upset and scared, but I never, after taking turf classes my freshman year, I knew that's what I was supposed to do. Um, and my advisor, who was actually the guy I met that day I toured, is a super nice guy, most genuine human being, willing to go out of your way for anything and anything I needed. And the other professor, uh, our turf department was pretty small. It's about, it was about 10 kids and two professors um, that were turf specific. And I mean, they were all great guys. Like my first turf class was actually a junior year level class you're supposed to take at your junior year of college. And I was a freshman sitting in this classroom, like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And my, uh, that professor was my advisor and he kind of, got me through it. And I met all those turf guys and they were the nicest guys I've ever met. And then slowly started to meet friends, slowly started to get into the field of college, started joining clubs and doing things outside of school. And I loved it. I mean, I, our, our turf program there was, was small, but it was, that's, probably the best way to do it. It was very intimate, very hands-on. We were in the lab. We were able to actually do a ton of stuff because with only 10 kids, you don't have to wait for 30 people to catch up. We were cruising through stuff. We were doing real life. I mean, we were out on campus fertilizing the landscape stuff and we were out aerating the front yard of the plant science building and we were out changing reels on the mower and like everything was super hands-on. So when I got to my internships, I knew more than a lot of those interns because everything we had done in class was almost what we were doing in the field. You can't completely replicate it. I can't recommend internships more because you learn about five times more on an internship than you do in, in the class. The class will teach you all the, the base. You need your nitrogen and your phosphorus and your potassium and you need to do this aerating every so often and you need, they'll teach you the basics to start a foundation and then that internship just builds those things to another level. It is insane how much I learned in three months of an internship. That was actually my next question, but um, again, you just spoke about the internship and you talk about Joe and I, again, Joe was the same thing to me. He was a great mentor. It was very short time because he actually left. I think that when I was there, um, but for Reno, he, uh, can you talk to 
specific things that you think those internships provide? Because you said, and I agree with you, I've told the kids a thousand times, and if you're not in the field and you're not getting your hands or you're not knowing what the actual workplace is like, you're not really learning how much you need to learn when you're coming out of college or out of our program here at Brentsville. Um, can you speak to those things that you learned so much more past what the specific uh, classrooms teach? Yeah, the internships, I wouldn't trade for the world. I'm so happy I did them. And I mean, being an intern kind of sucks some days. You're making your hourly wage and you're getting your butt kicked and it's 100 degrees and you're exhausted after a seven-game homestand and you are questioning all of your life decisions up until that point. But I was never more prepared to go out of college than after I did an internship, especially at, I mean, I did both of mine at a pretty high level at AAA level and at a MLB level. So I was thrown into the deep end and no one told you how to swim. You just figured it out type deal. And it was awesome and scary, super scary, but awesome because you you get to do the work and it sounds dumb, but like when you are the person in charge of making that mound pristine for the Milwaukee Brewers, that is your job of the day and you can't mess it up. Like you learn real quick exactly how to do it, exactly how they want it, exactly the moisture content they like. You learn everything you need to know in that one day of doing it and then you never have to learn it again. And it's, it's the same thing with everything. You learn the proper way to edge, you learn the proper way uh, to pack a mound, pack a plate, proper way to stripe, proper way to fertilize, how to build an entire fertility program. Um, that was something I had never really experienced up until that point in college. And so when I went to the brewers, uh, their assistant, their first assistant was in charge of the interns. They gave us a sweet binder and basically laid out a ton of stuff that we had to learn before we could leave. And so he went through the entire fertility program that they have, what they spray, how much they spray, when they spray, the frequency of a granular, when they do a granular, when they do a fungi, when you do anything and everything that goes in that sprayer and or in a spreader, you had to learn and then build your own maintenance program for X, Y, and Z field that you were going to manage post-graduation or whatever it was. And that was probably the most important thing you ever learn is having to be there every day for 12 hours a day in a stadium setting that relies on you to get the game in. So you learn real quick, something that you don't necessarily always know in a classroom. Absolutely. Um, so with those experiences and then as an assistant and sort of over the years, uh, what do you think, uh, what kind of attributes do you think that you developed over the years that brought you to this point to advance, to be the head groundskeeper, uh, there in Reno? What do you, I don't know if that's the right way to word it, but if you, if you understand that's, that would be good. I'm sorry. I got you. All right. Thank I, you. I think, the most important thing in this industry and in turf is wanting to work because like I've said probably 15 times already is that the hours are long 
I mean, we're here from 9 a.m. until game's over, which could be 11 p.m. It could be a 15-hour day, and it could be a 15-hour day seven days in a row before you get a day off. And it's exhausting. A lot of it is. So I think my want to be at the ballpark every day and pushing through those long days and those long weeks and cursing a little bit and sweating a lot, you push through. And if you're willing to show up, anybody will hire you. If you're willing to come in every day on time, let's be, (laughs) if you show up on time and are teachable and you want to learn and you want to grow yourself and push yourself, any job could be yours, literally any job. That's I'm currently trying to find an assistant right now. Um, And going through that hiring process, that was number one. I mean, I can teach you almost anything and everything you need to know about this job. The thing I can't teach you is the wanting to work part. That is definitely the hardest, hardest thing to fill. Definitely. I think Jack's available if you need an assistant. (laughs) (laughs) Um, With when you were talking about the law hours, uh, that's more specifically in baseball. Uh, compared to other sports and I'm not saying there's not a lot of hours in other sports but um, again you have 80 games versus football who has 16 in total so obviously there are certain different ways that goes could you sort of explain uh, what it's like to be a part of minor league baseball Uh, and you've obviously spoke a little bit how it's sort of shifted again with like MLB and everything Um, what is it like to be a part of minor league baseball and what is it that you enjoy so much about it um, I, a lot of things, minor league baseball is where I started. So I have a soft spot for it. And with the shift to MLB, the standards are now MLB standards. So basically the product that any minor league field puts out now has to be the same quality as its major league affiliate, which I find a huge motivator for me is like, we have to put out an MLB quality product. Um, I like the minor leagues a little bit more just because there's a lot of freedom and in, in more, I don't know what the word freedom, I guess in wiggle, being, wiggle room. Yeah. And able to enjoy the job. I feel like at MLB standards, you got a lot of pressure. you got a lot of hours and events and things happening at the stadium all of the time. And minor leagues are getting the same way too. We have a plenty of our fair share of concerts and events and movie nights and stuff, but it is nice to be able to flex my hours and to have a smaller intimate company um, instead of having 500 people that work for the Dodgers, there's 50 people that work for the aces and I can know every single one of them and they can know me and they understand what I do and they respect what I do instead of having the accounting lady f- number 400 at the Dodger stadium, trying to understand why I'm spending X, Y, and Z money on fertilizer. I can just go up to the office and be like, look, Stacy, this is why I needed the money for this. And it's a lot more easygoing. It's a lot more fun. I feel like you get to have more, more fun at the minor league level. The hours are long. I mean, 
like you said, baseball has, I mean, we host 72 games this year. Uh, my buddy who works for the Carolina Panthers, he had eight games, home <laughs> games, and he, and he's, he's busy. Playing you know, and he's like, oh my gosh, play. so many games. <laughs> they practice every day at the NFL level and they are tearing up their practice facility every day, but it's very different because game days you're there a lot longer and you're only doing it eight times. So I don't feel bad for you. I'm doing it 72 times. Get on my level. <laughs> Pretty much. What has been your greatest difficulty when it comes to your job on on day-to-day business? Biggest difficulty here is is being in the desert and trying to keep water in everything. Um, As we all know, grass loves water and it sucks it up because there is no humidity here. It is a very dry, high mountain desert. We're also at uh, 4,700 feet. So we're at elevation, which is a huge factor. We're closer to the sun. It dries out a lot quicker. It gets a lot hotter and trying to make sure the grass is proper moisture as well as the skin. Keeping water in the infield here is near impossible. And it, it's hard when your infielders are like, it's so hard. Like you can't water it more. And I'm like, I've watered it six times today. I, it's just hot. I don't know what to tell you. It's four o'clock in the afternoon in Reno in July, and it's just going to dry out. I don't care if I flood it. It's That's probably one of the bigger struggles. I mean, if you're in the Midwest or East Coast, you struggle the opposite thing. You're pulling tarp every day and trying to get water off the field. So everybody has their own struggles with me. It's uh, fighting the sun because Nevada is actually the sunniest state. Controversy to what Florida says it is. <laughs> Florida is the most rainy state. Let's put that on it, you know? It is. <laughs> actually, Nevada gets the most sunny days of the year, and Nevada gets the least amount of rainfall of all 50 states. So we beat out Arizona and Texas because they get monsoon season in Arizona. Monsoon season, season is crazy. Yes. I didn't know about that until I went to Arizona a couple of years ago. Like we get like five inches of rain in an hour. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's insane. And they come rolling in out of nowhere. Yeah. When I was down in Flagstaff, but it happened a lot. And so we get seven inches of annual rainfall in Reno and we get 300 days of sun. So fighting the need to overwater is. Oh yeah. That's gotta be, gotta be crazy. Um, so other than the water and the need to try and keep water in the infield, um, was there ever a major event either during game or, uh, maybe in a, uh, a way stand major event that was really crazy. And you truly, uh, saw it after the fact is a great learning experience. Was there ever one big one that really sticks out that has, helped you maybe prevent things from happening in a certain way again, or other aspects of what you do for managing the field? Um, I think when I interned in Milwaukee, we did, we had a Kenny Chesney concert. Um, that's a very large event. And I learned a lot because you have to put the flooring down, but you have to know when you put the flooring down that it can only be down for 48 hours because that field can't go without sun for that long. And you have to make sure you put a fun fungicide out before you put that flooring down because all that moisture 
the grass is trying to put off is being trapped under that flooring for that concert. And it's just creating a ideal situation for any disease to enjoy itself and go nuts. The city. So, oh yeah. Real quick. It escalates real quickly. Oh yeah. So making sure you you can't just plan for the event itself and making sure that everything at 7 p.m. is on time and good to go. You have to plan. I mean, we were putting fungi out for two weeks before that concert. You're planning well before to make sure that you have cut the water down to a percentage every single day so that when that time comes to lay flooring, you're prepared, your moisture management is strong enough to get the grass through being without water for two days, but also to keep that disease pressure down. You also have to make sure you're prepared on that disease with the fungicide. And then making sure your staff is, everybody's on board so that you can get that flooring down, making sure the concert goes off without a hitch. And then it's tearing that flooring up as soon as that concert ends to make sure that the grass can start to breathe again. And then just kind of accepting and preparing for the post-concert damage um, because that stage is heavy and it will kill all of the turf underneath it. So um, just kind of getting ready to resod, making sure you have product out to green everything back up. Um, and then making sure you go through, we, I mean, we did four or five sweeps of 15 guys in a line and we would just sweep back and forth, picking up garbage and nails from the stage and cigarette butts from the construction workers and making sure that that concert looks like it was never here because the team was in town and five days later and they had to know that that field wasn't touched since they left. Absolutely. We had a, uh... Kenny Chesney in Pittsburgh, that's a big event. Very it's a big it, event. Concerts like that will show you how long of hours you can actually stand for. Yeah, we had Beyonce was like double everyone else. We had them there, her too. It was crazy. I was just like, why is the stage so different? <laughs> you know? Uh, but it, it, those events are crazy. Um, you were also sort of talking about this before. Uh, what challenges are you presented sort of on an annual uh, scope, whether it's budgeting, uh, expectations from the front office, dealing with that, having that relationship, making sure that they're understanding that, again, you, you know what you're doing and what you have out there is the best product possible with the budget they're giving you and whatnot. What are you prioritizing? What are you working with, with budget, labor, stuff like that? Uh, to ensure that you're getting the best product out of all the different uh, areas that you are managing? That's been the biggest struggle of the transition from assistant groundskeeper to head groundskeeper. It's a lot more desk work. Been in this office a lot more than I normally am. It's good thing uh, you took the business classes, right? Good thing I got that <laughs> business minor. So I know what an Excel spreadsheet is because I've been using one a lot. Um, planning a budget is quite the task because they don't necessarily, it's like filing your taxes. They don't necessarily tell you how much you have to spend. They just tell you to give them a number and then they say yes or no. And you're like, okay, that's, I need a number to work within. And that's, I work backwards instead of working forwards and you telling me no, and then I have to go backwards. 
So that's been a huge struggle for me. I do prioritize um, my equipment, making sure that's maintenance properly yearly. That's number one, because if anybody knows when equipment breaks and you have to stop work because equipment's broken, it is the worst. Yes, it is. Absolutely. The thing I loathe more than anything is equipment breaking. (laughs) So I prioritize making sure everything is, oil is changed, filters are changed, blades are sharp and tires are good because that can halt progress really, really quickly. So that's not one of the number top ones. Fertility program is obviously top numero uno. Uh, making sure the grass is fed and can handle, handle the stress of 70 games and the of events and the weather here is like I said it's hot and it gets intense but our nights because we're at elevation dip so low we we're in a weird transition zone where Bermuda just would not do well here but Kentucky bluegrass gets a little stressed out in the summer so like making sure everything's properly fed to handle any kind of stress um it's tough because there's a lot of products I want to use and you kind of have to make a list go through that list of, I need this amount of nitrogen. I need this amount of phosphorus. I need this amount of potassium, all of my micros. I basically have a a list and it's a number that I have to get to each month. Um, This is the nitrogen level I need to apply this month. And then I pick products, I plug it in. I have a very fancy Excel spreadsheet thanks to my fancy business administration minor um that calculates everything out for me so all I have to do is plug in the product and then it tells me how much nitrogen I'm putting out and as soon as I get the highlighted you hit the magic number and I can move on to the next nutrient and I plug in some products until I hit that phosphorus recommendation and um it's very time intensive uh but it's worth it because I know I know that I'm putting out the right product. I can then take that spreadsheet to the front office and be like, look, this is what needs to go out. This is how much it costs per acre to put it out. Here's the bill. And then uh, getting currently working on building a schedule for my hopeful assistant and seasonal assistant because they are hourly. And because of 2020, uh, we have to watch overtime. So, budgeting and making sure that everyone stays within their 40 hours a week and making sure the overtime doesn't get out of control because I mean when you're working 10 12 15 hour days it can escalate real quick and so been working on that as well I mean there's a lot of factors that you have to learn as a head groundskeeper that you don't have to as an assistant and the budget is hard one hard one to master what type of turf grass are you managing in reno and why was it selected for your ballpark so the sod going down in a week from today actually crazy enough as my sandbox is right now it's actually sod leg week next week woot woot Whoop, whoop is. <laughs> I'm tired of looking at sand. It's making me nervous. Um, I chose the 365 SS Kentucky Bluegrass. Um, it's a more heat and drought tolerant bluegrass, which is why 
it's perfect for Reno. Um, it's, I mean, there's a lot of research and a lot of science out there trying to improve the tough transition zone area that I live in and a lot of central uh, US deals with. Um, cold winters, harsh winters, but hot summers is a tough grass to grow. Um, the 365 offers a lot of benefits as it loves the cold weather. So come fall or spring when we're still getting a little bit of snow and the nights are 16 degrees and it's thriving and then we're good. But I also chose it so that when it's hundred degrees in August, it can handle that stress. It can handle the drought. It can handle the heat as well as it can handle the, the cold. Um, again, that's again, obviously what you're looking for, uh, what are your cultural practices that you've developed sort of with your time there in Reno, um, that you're focusing on? Obviously you talked about water is a big concern and obviously with all that, what is it that you're focusing on and maybe what is it that you're going to probably focus even more on with a newer field, a brand new field compared to again, working with a 12 year old, uh, stadium field. So the biggest thing is, uh, is going to be a fertility program and you, it's a, it has no nutrients in that soil right now. You basically took all that organic layer out. It is fresh sand. There's a little bit from the sand underneath, but not a lot. So you're starting with the, like going to the beach and expecting to grow grass on it right now, because there's nothing to it. So we have to, this year, the first year's most important year, you are spoon feeding this baby grass and giving it nutrients every two weeks or every week. Certain things are going down every week, certain things are going down every two weeks, just to ensure that the grass, that plant has food whenever it needs it. Whenever it's stressed out, whenever it is hungry and wants to grow, making sure that we have a healthy, healthy plant so that when you're on those six game homestands, that grass isn't phased. And uh, that's gonna be a struggle this first year. Um, I like to aerate at least once a month just to let that turf breathe. Getting that fresh air into the root system is huge. Um, it also helps activate a lot of those uh, fertilizers that I've put underneath there. A lot of those granulars need oxygen to activate and to break down for that plant. So aerating, top dressing, um, that'll be something I have to figure out a little bit uh, going into a new field. Uh, clearly we have enough sand as it is right now, uh, but you wanna make sure that that crown is protected and so uh, working currently on building that aerating top dressing uh, plan. And then my plan in the fall, and I guess every fall from now on will be verticutting and cleaning that thatch layer out, making sure that um, we don't get to the organic layer buildup that we had before. I mean, it's inevitable. It's just what time is on a field, um, but improving its lifespan will be dependent on clearing out a lot of that organic matter. I actually just got my new mower buckets. I'm super excited. They just came today. So I got uh, new mower buckets to help catch clippings, which will improve a lot of that organic matter problem. 
and uh, water, a lot of, lot of water. <laughs> Gotta love the water. Um, do you go crazy with your mowing patterns? Sorry, I'm throwing that in there uh, with the questions we gave you. Um, do you enjoy doing just classic? What is your, uh, obviously it's going to be your first year. Do you have any uh, big plans uh, that you have for uh, mowing patterns? I do. I love putting in fancy mowing patterns. I'm uh, with you on that. Unfortunately, when we were sharing with soccer, it was harder because you had to mow in soccer pattern one weekend and then mow it out real quick to mow in baseball. And you didn't always have time to put in a fancy one. So we did a lot of classic easy ones. Now that uh, our soccer team is gone, I'm excited to spend some more time and do the fancy patterns and and with new bluegrass, it's gonna look so freaking good. It's gonna stripe up so beautifully. It's gonna be that lush, dark Kentucky bluegrass stripes. Oh, my heart. I'm so excited. Bye-bye, Poa. <laughs> yeah, no more lime green Poa. No more having to spend so much money on paint to cover it up. Mm. It'll be beautiful, dark green Kentucky bluegrass striped up all pretty. Nothing quite like it, you know? Um. With the poet pressure, you were talking about how it sort of took over, and obviously over time you're gonna have not the I'm sure the extent of what it was, but um, are you gonna develop a sod farm sort of uh, like in the bullpen or outside the stadium to have on hand, even if it's uh, like in renovating like walk ups or something like that? Um, and could you explain to the kids sort of what I kind of was just asking because I haven't actually talked to them about this kind of idea before. Um, so actually, Eric Blanton used to do this when I was an intern there. Our bullpens between mound and home plate were grass. And each year he would pick either the visitors or the home. So he'd pick the home one year and he would take grass out of that bullpen to use for sod. And then the next year the visitors won, let the home one grow back in and just kind of did that flip flop. And it was super nice because it was in that controlled environment. It wasn't foreign sod. It was everything that you were doing on the field was what was happening in the bullpen. So it was an easy transition too for that sod because a lot of the time it's hard to hard to bring in foreign grass and get it to adjust to your cultural practices and your environment because we're below, most stadiums are below street level. So it's a different micro environment to the outside world. Um, kind of like when you are cleaning a fish tank and you have to get the new water that you're freshening up to be the same temperature as the old tank so you don't shock the fish. Same kind of concept with the grass. You don't want to shock the grass too much. So I liked having the bullpen. Joe came in. We had our bullpens redone. He took the grass out. Um, it was just boring track between mound and plate. And we had a lot of players complaining because they had nowhere to stretch or anything. So actually last spring before the 2020 season, we put grass back in. And so this year I will now be able to have a sod farm in the bullpens. That's awesome. I'm sure they'll appreciate the stretching area too. Oh yeah. Um, you were talking about the infield and how difficult it is to maintain in the desert. Um, but with the Dura Edge coming in, um, what's going to be your strategy, uh, for maintaining it and really just, uh, again, a lot of the kids have seen it with the work they've done on our fields, uh, the, the playability aspect of that skin and how much you as the groundskeeper play a role in the overall playability of it. 
sort of safety for the players and true to the ball roll. What's sort of your strategy maintaining it with uh, dragging slash water slash all the different aspects? And how has Dura Edge made that a little bit better for you in a sense? Um, I've never worked with the Dura Edge product before, uh, but I've heard a lot of good things about it. Obviously, that's why it's MLB standard, and that's why I'm getting it. But I've heard, and I know from testing and seeing the research done on the Dura Edge. It has a much better water holding capacity. So that'll help tremendously as it is. Um, I think the biggest thing is one, not having soccer sod on it as, and not getting beat up as much is going to improve the playability and the safety aspect of it. Um, my big plan this year on the infield is we, in the renovation, we've put uh, an infield watering system. So along the back arc and along the infield, it just waters the skin for dust control and soaking it pretty good, which will help a lot. We also have a roller. So we have a two ton roller, which is super helpful for keeping that infield tight. Cause then when you allow pore space in your infield, you're allowing air into that pore space to dry it out. So the tighter and firmer you have your infield from the start, the less chance you have of water escaping because any pore space is going to be filled with water, not air. Um, so it'll hold on to it a little bit better. And I guess the ideal infield is the cleat out theory that when a cleat hits the infield dirt, it comes clean out. You don't have a muddy, slippery mess and you don't have a hard surface where that cleat can't even enter uh, the infield dirt. So It'll be some playing around with the dirt edge for the first month. I think once March comes around and I'm able to play with it a little bit more and, and figure out what the ideal watering schedule will be for the infield. That'll be pretty much the whole, the whole thing is making sure our moisture management in the infield is, is ideal so that ball roll is good. You don't have a hitting concrete and bouncing straight up and you have player safety for any sliding or whatever shenanigans that they're out there doing and making sure that when they hit the dirt, it's a soft surface. There's no injury because it's too hard or it's too wet. You don't want any uh, ankle breaking or, or torn ACLs because the, the infield's too wet because that is a possibility, but I, I don't know. There's a certain thing about baseball groundskeepers and again, football groundskeepers who are just grass guys or soccer ones that are just grass guys. Managing dirt is a whole science and it is a whole nother problem that you have to deal with that uh, football and soccer guys luck out of. What technologies are you using on your field? to better manage different aspects of managing the soil sciences and plant health? So actually, I just picked up my new um, irrigation clock this morning from Ewing. Um, it's got the HydroWise system in it. So basically you can hook up, it hooks up to your normal irrigation system. You set the times you want your irrigation to run but it has a bunch of different accessories you can get with it. You can put in a weather station to it. You can put in a soil monitor to it. You can put in whatever. And basically I got the weather station. So if it rains, 
if it rains in Reno, knock on wood, I hope it does not. So I don't have to pull tarp. Walk out five minutes later after this. <laughs> I jinxed it. But um, basically being able to have a watering monitoring system in place that when it rains or if putting a soil monitoring system, if the soil moisture gets to a certain percentage, the irrigation will shut off. So you have absolutely no chance of overwatering, which is a huge technology improvement from, I'm sure a couple of 10 years ago when the stadium was built, wasn't an option. Being able to sense when that sand has reached its water holding capacity and not over overdoing it or knowing like it's really, it's really hot. I can see the water percentage. I know I need to turn the clock up another 10 minutes. It needs to rotate another however many times. So that's a huge, huge technology benefit. Also the capabilities of having it on my phone and not having to panic that I didn't turn the water on and run back to the stadium. I can be sitting on my couch like, oh, yep, the water's on, we're good. And, or if the other huge thing I'm super excited about because we had a lot of uh, breaking of irrigation last year, um, I can see if there is a break. My All of a sudden my flow meter or my flow is 100 gallons a minute. I'm like, well, that's not right. So oh, I can locate it and see, oh, this zone is putting out this much water. That is not normal. Something's broken. Being able to identify the issue, at least narrowing it down and not being like, that's weird. It's a really wet spot here today. Oh, there's a pipe broken, but I might go two weeks without ever knowing it. And that's scary. <laughs> Stresses me out a little bit. But now that I have the technology to be able to know and narrow it down helps relieve a lot of stress. The watering thing is needed, but it is a very delicate thing. Absolutely. Um, sort of to go with that, you were talking about you know, a lot of irrigation breaks and whatnot, and, and that stuff, it weighs on you, you know, and with all of that, it's sort of, it, it, again, a season, a 73-game season, like you said, you have, it can be very, very uh, stressful is probably the right word for it. Um, what can you tell the kids that drives you? What keeps you going after all the, the hardships and everything? What is it that's you want to uh, keep doing the job and keep moving forward again, since over the years and years, and now you reach the head groundskeeping job, what is it that is driving you each and every day when you go to work? I still wake up and I'm excited to go to the ballpark every day. Like I hate getting up at seven o'clock in the morning. I am not a morning person. I am not built for mornings. That's why I went baseball and not golf because there's no way you'd see me on a mower at four 30 in the morning. Um, but my office is a baseball field. That's pretty freaking cool. I don't care who you are. And every time I tell somebody that they are extremely jealous as they should be, because it is indescribable feeling to walk into center field every day. And that be my office. Like, yes, I have a physical office with a computer and whatnot in it, but I am not here, but 5% of my day which is not a lot of people can say that. I was, I knew from the beginning, I was not built for a office job. I did not want to be in a cubicle in front of a computer for eight hours a day, for 40 hours a week, for 30 years of my life. That was not gonna happen. 
I can't sit in front of this computer for more than 30 minutes. And then I have to go outside and do something because I like working with my hands. I like being dirty. I need to wash the sweatshirt super bad. Uh, I love it. I love being outside every day. I get all the vitamin D I want. That's probably why I'm very healthy and energetic person. I eat enough dirt that I got the immune system on, on lock. Corona, try me because I got all the vitamin D <laughs> in my system that I need. Uh, that's um, amazing. I don't, I know the hours are long. Like you just kind of have to accept that fact at some point and you just know it. And that's is what it is. I've accepted it. I'm totally fine with it because for four of those 12 hour days, four hours of that 12 hours, I'm watching baseball. I am sitting in the dugout waiting to drag watching baseball. No, I, no one I know gets paid to do that That's besides nice. the players to be able to sit in the dugout and watch baseball. Not a lot of people get to do it. Even our front office. Yeah. You get paid to watch it, but you don't get to watch it from field level. You don't get to come in every day and work on that field. I mean, it's pretty freaking cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's pretty freaking cool. That's why I keep coming back. I mean, absolutely. Name a better office. I can't. That's why I do it. <laughs> yeah. um, so, um, with everything, and again, congratulations on uh, the head key, head groundskeeper job. This it's this year, right? This one happened. Yes. That's awesome. Um, what's your overall goal? Um, was this sort of the overall goal or is it, is there a hope to make a jump to the next level? Is there uh, maybe a different area you like to conquer, maybe a different sport or golf? Like, well, maybe not golf. Like you just said, you don't come that early. I'm with you on that. Um, my 6am wake up call is early enough, you know? So uh, is there anything that you think could be the next step for you or what your overall goal is when you entered uh, the sports surf industry? I mean, when I entered, I wanted to be an MLB groundskeeper. That's obviously the, the goal is to try to get to that major league level and put out a major league product and go to a major league field every day as my job. I think that is the coolest thing in the world. And that's why I started it. I mean, going to Chase Field for those two days and just taking in the stadium itself, it was something I could see myself doing. That was probably my first goal. I definitely thought it would take me a lot longer to be a head groundskeeper, especially at the AAA level. I was like, I'm 25 and I'm at the AAA level as a head groundskeeper. And I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Don't tell the front office that, but (laughs) (laughs) they had to see something, right? They had to see something. I know they don't need to see this part. They don't need to get this far, but I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Trust me. I am. I definitely expected it to take longer. So I don't really know. I hate when people are like, what, what do you want to do in five years? I was like, I don't even know what I'm having for breakfast tomorrow. So like, I don't freaking know. I made sure I kept the five years out of the question. I just went overall, you know, <laughs> I appreciate that. I wouldn't have answered it anyway. I was said what I said. I don't, know what I'm having for I don't like the question either. I'm like five years from now. I mean, what's five going years on? time. What I was doing at 20, I definitely didn't think I'd be head groundskeeper five years later. So Absolutely. I mean, anything can happen. My goal right now is to win field of the year. I got brand new field coming in my first year as head groundskeeper. 
only female in AAA, youngest head groundskeeper in AAA. I got a lot to prove and I am coming for field of the year. I am determined more than anything else this year. It is finally my chance. Got rid of soccer, got a new field. I got, I got goals. That's awesome. Our kids uh, were awarded that a couple of years back. They were, we were all sort of shocked, honestly. We just kind of were doing it. It was a great, it was a great opportunity to sort of take the application and create a lesson out of it in a sense, like everything like, you know, with the nutrient management and all that, but they were, they were all really excited. So uh, I'm sure you'll be there in no time at all just like uh, with the head groundskeeping job. So um, those are some heavy bragging rights, getting a field of the year. Award. <laughs> we don't like to use it as bragging rights. But I mean, I, that's, it, it, an accomplishment that is absolutely. going off. Get that plaque up here. I got a, I got room right here. It's going to go right there and I, for the world to see for everybody. We'll have, to we'll have another meeting and make sure we just focus on the plaque. Yeah, it'll just be that the whole Zoom. You can, I'll just <laughs> over it and then you can just look at that. Sounds good. Sounds good. I'm sure you'll be there at no time at all. Um, That's awesome. You guys want it. Shoot, if you guys want it before me, dang, well, I'm honored now. I'm with royalty. <laughs> I wouldn't I say that. Worthy. I haven't won field of the year yet. I don't know if I deserve No, no, that's not at all. Not at all. Um, I was actually on Twitter a couple days ago and I saw this video. I think it was by the aces. Uh, it's, it's fine. Um, the head groundskeeper of the Mariners came down and yes. visited. Uh, what was that like? And if you could speak to, again, sort of the industry as a whole, again, like the whole situation of him coming down to see uh, what you're going through, because he's actually going to go through it next year. Uh, and I think it said with the specific turf you're going to be putting in, um, so what is that like? And could you sort of speak to the camaraderie of the industry as a whole? Again, like asking to come down to see you during the middle of the process and just being able to see what could be possibly be good for them and sort of pick at what they want to focus on based on their visit. I mean, you know, more than anybody as the turf industry is an unbeatable group of people guys and girls. I mean, I, when I started this field renovation process, not knowing what the heck I was doing and needing all the advice. And I called every minor league groundskeeper from single A to triple A. I called almost every head groundskeeper that I knew just to get some advice, to get when the last time they did a renovation, what they would have done differently, what they would implement now, if they could do one tomorrow. I mean, I could call anybody and everyone and they were more than willing to help me out and give me any advice. And that speaks volumes to the turf industry to be able to set aside a half hour of your day to help another turf manager succeed. I mean, unfortunately, like there's not a lot of other industries. You could go to an architect firm and try to talk with other architects and no one's going to tell them their secrets because that's what they get paid to do. But groundskeepers are the same way and they're willing to share anything to help another groundskeeper out. That's how tight knit we are. And it's, I mean, it's a small industry considering how many fields that there are in the U S and, or the world. I mean, it's not as many as buildings as there are for architects. So, I mean, it's everyone kind of knows everyone in some capacity, Thanks to social media, like Twitter, like 
I've never met half the people I follow on Twitter, but I know I could DM them with a question any day of the week and they'd happily help me out, which is incredible. Um, so Tim, uh, he knew the sod guy who came down here. I had never met Tim before, but Joe obviously had worked with Tim in Seattle and Joe has nothing but good things to say about Tim. So I was excited to meet him. And he brought his assistant who was the old head groundskeeper for Tacoma, who was a AAA team who did the soccer thing too. So it was super great to have them come down, meet them, make that connection, be able to tell them what we're doing and then know that they're going to bring that back to Seattle and be like, look, Reno did it this way. I think it's awesome that they did this, this, and this. I might change this, this, and this because it works for us better in this stadium. But like having them want to come to Reno and come look at my ballpark was the biggest compliment and knowing that they're wanting to do something similar. I'm a, I'm a trendsetter. I don't know if you know us, but uh, they wanted to do it because I'm doing it. Obviously. Yeah. That's awesome. But I mean, I mean, I'm in a group message with almost all the AAA groundskeepers right now on the West coast. So I can go to Sacramento tomorrow if I had a question or he'd come, he came here last summer to help fix my sprayer because I could not get that thing to build pressure to save my life. He came out, spent a day out here. I mean, we got beers, we hung out, we could enjoy each other's company and catch up, but also help each other out. And I can go to, I can call up Souk up in Salt Lake city or the El Paso guy or anybody is willing to help each other, which is, you can't say that a lot about other industries. I mean, you know, turf guys are one of the nicest groups. I mean, there's always bad apples, but for the most part, I would say we got a good humble for the most part, <laughs> uh, group of ladies and gents in the turf industry that would help anybody out. Absolutely. So I'm not sure if I'm right in what I'm saying here, but, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you're the only female to hold your position in minor league baseball. Is that correct? Um, there is one other woman in minor league. So I'm one of two okay. in the minor league system. There is one lady in single A for the Orioles. Okay. I am the only one in triple A. Triple A. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And one of four in all of baseball because Nicole Sherry Nicole and, and... and Heather Nabozzi in Detroit. Yep. Then uh, me and um, the lady in... Florida, I think it is. I think there's single A's in Florida. I think with the whole restructuring, I think all the uh, single A is back in the uh, spring training sites. I could be wrong, but. um, That speaks a lot of volume that of all, I mean, there's 120 minor league teams and 32 teams. There's only four women. Exactly. So sort of with that, um, I mean, you're such an inspiration, and we we talked to Nicole too as well. You guys are such an inspiration to kids, especially in our program, uh, who are actually looking towards turf and maybe looking at is it a possibility in their future careers. Um, can you sort of speak to how important it is to you and to how really incredible it is to be that figure in such a male dominant industry um, to say, hey. I'm a badass, you know, pardon my French for all my parents out there listening to this, but um, 
kicking ass and taking names, you know, uh, in this industry, what does that mean to you? And could you sort of speak to uh, all of that in a sense for the kids? Uh, I'm going to be honest. I don't feel any different. I mean, some days. And that's totally fine. Exactly. And that's what I'm curious about, you know, I mean, day to day in the ballpark with Joe and the other assistant and me, I never felt different. Joe pushed me just as hard as he did my male counterpart. I had to do all the heavy lifting the other guy did. It maybe took me more trips, but I did the exact same amount of turfus bags that he did. I packed just as many mounds as he did. I've done everything I can to level the playing field, um, literally and figuratively, um, <laughs> to make sure that like I am treated exactly the same as a male assistant would have been or a male head groundskeeper would be um I don't like feeling different I try to just keep my head down and and grind because my work says everything you need to know about me um I think I try to make it that way I try to make sure that it's never a question that oh she's a girl can she carry that much oh she's a girl can she lift that much oh is she able to keep up I make sure that that's not even a freaking question it is not across anybody's mind that I'm here for every reason that a male head groundskeeper is. Um, I wish more women saw that and, and knew that it was an option. Unfortunately, you, I never saw it. I, I mean, I didn't see Nicole um, in her position until I started reaching college and was able to start understanding the industry and whatnot. But I'm hoping through this girls are coming to aces games and knowing that that's an option, knowing that just because I've only ever seen a male head groundskeeper hold the hose pre game water doesn't mean that it's not an option because it is every job is open to anybody. You can be the COO, you can be a CRO, you can be the president, you can be a GM of any team of any league of anywhere. If you want it bad enough, if you put the work in, and you study and you know what you're talking about and you're confident in what you talk about and you put out that product that you were talking about, no one will know any different if it was a male or a female that did it. That's my goal. Absolutely. And incredible. Putting out something that if you didn't know I was a head groundskeeper and you found out, you're like, oh, I didn't know that it was a girl. That's the whole point. That's amazing. And we actually have a, a, a graduate. She's at Virginia Tech right now looking to start a um, career in turf. So we're, we're, we're seeing a lot of, of females in our program taking a light to it. it. So, so that's and awesome. Feel free, ladies listening, watching, whatever. Reach out. Like we are more than happy to answer any DM, any email, anything, any questions you have or mails. If you have a question about working in AAA, I'll answer it. If you have a question about internships, I'll answer it. If you have a question, if it's a woman, if you have a question or concerns about the physical limitations of the job or unfortunately the male ego of the job, ask, (laughs) I mean, Nicole probably told you the same thing. We're all happy to answer any questions you have and guide you and get you into this world because we want you here. It's hard. I'm not going to lie to you. Some of it's a lot harder when you're at the 
turf managers conference and there's 5,000 men in a conference center and there's 20 women. Like it's a hard feeling to digest sometimes. It sucks. I'm going to be honest. It sucks some days. Um, but I know every, most of those guys of that 5,000 men, I would say 95% of them would hire me or would reach out to me with questions or see me as a, as a colleague and an equal. And so it's never been a huge issue. There are a couple older gentlemen that make it an issue, but we don't need them anyway. We'll just forget about that. Yeah. Push them aside. (laughs) But if whoever has questions should ask. I mean, I went to the Diamondbacks website and just asked a random freaking question on a random site on a random comments and questions page, not thinking I would get a response and it changed my life. So please ask questions. Please step out of the comfort zone and try it. Absolutely. And, and that's amazing. So thank you for that. We do appreciate that. Uh, we sort of wrap it up on these two questions usually. Um, if there was one thing that you could tell yourself um, that through your career, again, you're only 25. So I just turned 26. So we're about the same age. Uh, if you could tell yourself when you started to make it not easier, but maybe something you would like to know uh, before hitting it head on. Uh, mine would be again, fixing an irrigation break, but that was just, <laughs> that was me seeing it for the first time and just going, ah, but what would you tell yourself going forward uh, to sort of, again, not make it easier, just something you would have liked to know going into it. Um, I wish I could tell my freshman year of college self that was scared uh, freshman and didn't know anybody. And as I move forward, to that it gets easier that you were meant to do this and that it'll start clicking uh the further you get into a turf program at at a university the more you fall in love with it because I feel like in I mean you guys are lucky I wish I had this in high school shoot I would have been on a much quicker happier path to join turf because I would have had a better understanding of it but in college as I took every turf class every soil science class everything started to fall into place for me. I just wish I could have told high school me and college me that you're meant to do this and that keep pushing, keep pushing. You're going to end up where you're supposed to be. Cause I mean, there's a couple times there. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I want to do this. Keep pushing, keep going. You're going to love it. Absolutely. That's great. Um, and really the, the last one, it's not really turf based in the question, Um, but if there's any words of advice, any words of wisdom for the kids, again, they're high school students looking to either enter the world right out of graduation or, uh, go to college for anything really, what would you say, uh, just what is the best advice you can give them moving forward? Shoot. Um, keep your eye on the ball. It's a saying my dad used to tell me. I mean, it's as simple as literally make sure you don't get hit in the face when you go to a baseball game, like pay attention. Uh, but it kind of, I have a keychain on my backpack that I, my parents gave me uh, when I graduated college. It says, keep your eye on the ball. And it's just kind of been a mantra for everything. Like stay focused, pay attention, set a goal, keep your eye on the balls, keep moving forward, keep 
doing what you're doing, all of the things. Just keep your eye on the ball. If you have a goal, keep your eye on it. If you need to be paying attention more, pay attention more, or you're going to get hit in the face because foul pole to foul pole netting isn't a thing in every stadium. So pay attention. Uh, absolutely incredible. Um, it's, it was been a fantastic time. We really appreciate you taking the time. What do you guys say? Thank you. No problem. I'm happy to be here. We I gotta really, go what kind really of chaos my construction crew got into in the last hour. <laughs> and a half. Well, we appreciate it for sure.